I wasn't expecting to be up here this morning, and so that means you weren't expecting this either. So we're going to make the best of it. What do you say? <laughs> Thank you. I needed that. Uh, I'm probably going to need a whole lot more where that came from. Um, no, I, I, it's been a week, I'm sure, as pastor has going through it. Uh, my family, it was, Rachel's not here today, Chase. I mean, it's like everybody was sick. I, there was a former teen I wanted to get with this week, and then there was the weather just... Uh, there wasn't weather this time, but it was basically our house and sickness everywhere. And so it's been a week. I mean, we've had everything from, you know, detoxing foot baths, yeah, right, to, uh, to the Colts breaking our heart. I'm still, I mean, I am kind of glad that I got this call yesterday because I probably would not have slept last night if all I could think about was fourth and one. <laughs> Six string running back dropping a pass. But anyway... The Lord has delivered me from that. Uh, I thought last night that I'm like, hey, this is a great indie sports night because we have, we have my beloved Hoosiers are playing. The Pacers are fresh on a six-game winning streak. They're playing the Celtics. Colts winning your end, right? And if somebody would have said only one of those three things is going to happen, which one is it going to be? I probably wouldn't have said, yeah, IU's actually going to show up and win a game. And that's what happened last night. And so, yeah. I'm glad that our hope is not in sports because I live in Indiana and I would be hopeless. But uh, the reality is, I mean, we don't often know what a day is going to bring. I got this call yesterday, you know, at 4 o'clock, and uh, it's an honor for me anytime to help Pastor out. He's done so much for me, and it's a blessing anytime you get to stand up and open the Word of God. I do wonder what this feels like if you're actually given a date in advance. And uh, not the day before. I wonder if it feels different. I'm not sure. But uh, I guess this is God's way of saying, well, now you got to rely on me because you didn't have any time to plan it. So, so that's what we're going to be uh, dealing with today. So hopefully we are all on the same page. And the thing I just kept thinking about this week is uh, the church in general. And we just got back from a conference and with the youth group. And, and you see these stories of these amazing redemption stories, right? That this person was so lost and was so disgusting and was just way over here, right? And then, and then the cross found them and then they got this unbelievable story and we're like, you know, praise Jesus. Did you see where that person came from? And, and these stories of redemption, and some of these have been, you know, national news. Some of them have been made into movies over the years. I was thinking about the cross and the switchblade. Anybody remember that story? A few of you guys in here? So David Wilkerson, you know, this kind of country pastor, he goes into New York City, and then, you know, this time he was going to give the gospel, and these two gangs were, like, going to fight it out, and then the gospel just changed everything, and Nikki Cruz gets saved, and those two come together, and it's an amazing testimony, and they're traveling around, working with youth, and, and you hear those stories, and you're like, man, God's redemptive power in the gospel of taking these people who were headed to hell and who were far from God and has miraculously turned their lives around, right? And, and then the drug addicts and, and the people like that. And you're like, man, these testimonies, this gospel can't be denied. It's so real and it's amazing, right? And the church is so welcoming. They're like, come as you are because it doesn't matter how damaged you are. There's a, there's a seat for you. There's a seat for you to come in here. There's a story you need to hear. And today when you leave, that needs to be your story. And I was just thinking, that's the gospel, and maybe somebody pulled you in here today, and they're like, hey, we don't know who's going to be speaking, but. <laughs> but we want you to hear this story. This story how that you and I, all of us in here, we're sinners. And that sin has separated us from a holy, perfect God. 
And so there's this gulf, right? It's because God loves us. He created us, but we can't be near him because of our sin. And God looked down. He goes, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to fix it permanently because you can't fix it. I can't fix it. We can never be perfect. We can never be good enough. So God sent Jesus on the cross to die for our sins. And he was buried and three days later rose again. And he says, it is finished. We don't need another blood sacrifice. We need nothing else anymore. My son did it all on the cross. And if you will believe that by faith, you will be in heaven for all eternity. And somebody might have brought you in here today because they're like, I, if you listen to nothing else this bald guy says, listen to that, and it's my prayer that you believe that. It is all of our prayer that you believe that. But then there's this other piece that I wrestle with. It's what we do as a church with the person who's accepted Jesus, the person who is now saved, and God forbid they sin. God forbid the sinner falls. All, all of a sudden, the church isn't come as you are. It's a, you knew better. I mean, God forbid a Christian sins. Because there's one thing that happened when all of us got saved that we know about, right? It's that the Holy Spirit came and lived inside of us. But there's another thing that happened, and it had happened from the time that you were born. And that is you still have a flesh. You still have a sin nature. So in each and every one of us is the possibility to blow it. But it seems like we stick to the redemptive part of the gospel and not the restorative part of the gospel. Because God delights in restoring just as much as he delights in redeeming. And where's the church? Oh, you posted on social media, so hey, I get free reign to gossip and talk about you. You blew it. You're no longer married. You sit in the corner. You don't come. You're not allowed. I know what you did last week. You can't come. It's like, come as jacked up as you are, get saved, and you better be perfect. I'm not speaking specifically of Grace Point. I'm talking in general. The pressure to be perfect after we get saved. And it's no wonder that when somebody falls, the last place they want to be is the altar with everybody looking at them, with everybody judging them. And I'm like, what have we done as a church? Hey, come as you are until you are and then don't ever fall. That's not the same gospel I see in the Bible. If my God is limited to just saving you and not keeping you and not sanctifying you, then that's half the story. That means half the Bible is not relevant. And this is something that is very dear to me. I know what this looks like. I know what this feels like. And for whatever reason, this week, God said, this is what you're going to say. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6. And the title of the message, Please, Church, Don't Shoot. Probably be the last time I'm allowed to speak, but I hope you guys will bear with me. If you have ever seen the movie The Patriot, highly recommend it if you haven't, but there's a scene in that movie where Tavington, who is the bad, the bad guy in the, in the film, so he gets to the Martin house, which is Mel Gibson's house, and so they were kind of housing the rebel wounded, if you will, and they weren't really taking sides as far as who's bad and who's not. They saw people were wounded, and, they, and they're basically on the porch, and they're bandaging them up, and they're trying to get them back to health. And, and then one of the soldiers asks, what do we do with the rebel wounded? And without flinching, he says, kill them. 
And I feel like, man, the, the church today kind of does the same thing. Each and every person in here has a story. Maybe you, you've blown it. Maybe you've blown a marriage. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you had a messy thing that was very public. Maybe you've been arrested. Maybe there's something that is in your shadows that's keeping you from moving forward or maybe keeping you from doing anything for the Lord. You might be watching live stream and it's keeping you from being in here today. And I'm here to tell you, we don't have it all figured out in here. Please come because we're not all perfect here. And I hope that this will encourage you today. The church is really good at shooting their wounded because it's easier. What if they do it again? What if they mess things up again? What if they don't? What if God is building a story and he says, look, my grace is bigger. What if he's trying to build an ornament of grace and we're saying, no, God, this one's not qualified. What if God's trying to build a story, but our self-righteousness keeps our foot on somebody's neck? And yeah, grace is risky. But the pastor of this church taught me to err on the side of grace. And I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that grace. So I'm hoping that is what will open our eyes as we read this passage today. We're going to start in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, and we're going to keep going back to it. So if you're marking it in your Bible, know that I'm going to spend the majority of my time in Galatians 5 and Galatians 6. So you won't have to hunt a whole lot if your eyesight's not good and cannot see it on the screens. Although I do recommend opening your Bible. It, it still works. So anyway, Galatians chapter 6 says this, Brethren... If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we're going to come to this passage over and over again. We're going to break it down. The first part Paul says is brethren. He is addressing the body of Christ. This is a generic greeting giving an idea that all the brethren are going to be concerned with what he is about to say, as well as the church should be today. He's like, brethren, I've just said quite a bit, especially about the spirit in the flesh in chapter 5, but brethren, I'm now addressing you. Pay attention. You believers, pay attention to what I'm about to say. He addresses two types of people. The first is a man overtaken in a fault. So what does that even mean? Well, man, maybe who's fallen. The idea of fault is offense, trespass, slip, sin. If a man be overtaken in a fault. Now I started thinking about this. I was like, in order for him to write this letter saying, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, he is saying a couple of things. He's like, one, we as the brethren should be looking for these people. And two, that probably what he's addressing is stuff that is commonly known since we can't always know what's inside of people. So he says, if a man be overtaken in a fault. We don't know what this is, but I mean, it could be, we can think about modern day. I mean, it could be an arrest. It could be a messy divorce. It could be an addiction, right? It could be any number of things. It could be an addiction to pornography. It could be infidelity. It could be any number of things. And even the things we think aren't that big. It could be that lying that is, that is permeating everybody. Everybody knows you're a liar. It could be the gossip. It could be the discord that you're causing amongst the brethren. 
Whatever it is, this thing that's openly known that says, hey, this person is falling short. This person is wounded. Maybe it's something that they've done that they just can't get away from. Maybe they've blown through two marriages and feel like there's no hope for me. Whatever it is, Paul is saying, if a man be overtaken in a fault, then he addresses the second type of people. He says, you who are spiritual. What he didn't say, if a brother be overtaken in a fault, leave him to his own. Let him figure it out. He's going to have to just wake up and see it someday. Why does he give direct instruction to people who have figured it out to go help those who haven't? Maybe it's because those who are wounded aren't supposed to be left to their own devices. I can tell you personally that that's a terrible place to be when you have failed and you are face first on the ground and there's no one around you. Guess who is? Satan. And he's whispering to you, don't get up. You're just going to do it again. You are nothing. And yes, the Holy Spirit there and God is there. But how helpful is it when somebody comes alongside and says, hey, brother, I've been there. God expects more. God's going to do something with you. God's going to build a story. How much easier is that is if somebody comes along and says, I'm with you. I will walk through this with you. He didn't say, leave him alone. He says, you who are spiritual, you go do something about it. So who are the spiritual? What makes somebody spiritual? Well, I think he tells us that in chapter 5 over and over and over again. In verse 16, he says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So these spirit people are people who have gotten consistent in their walk, who have learned to walk in the spirit, who aren't constantly overcome by their flesh. Also in verse 18, not only do they walk in the spirit, they are led of the spirit. They are led of the spirit, and they are not under the law. They're not legalists. They understand what it means to be led of the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, they are producing something in their lives because they are spiritual. They're getting out of the way and the Holy Spirit's doing something in them. What's it producing? It's producing these things right here. It's producing love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. And then you keep going, temperance. Sorry, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And we'll come back to meekness here in a moment. And even in verse 13 of chapter 5, he says, Brethren, you have been called unto liberty, only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. I think it's clear who the spiritual are. He addresses it over and over again in chapter 5. They're consistent. They've crucified their flesh. There is a track record of spiritual maturity. Not that they are not sinners, but they have progressed a little further down the track. They've been on the path longer. And maybe they've even learned how to get off the mat themselves. You know, maybe that's you today. You're like, all right, I'm that person. When I was young, I was up and down in my walk. But now I've been pretty consistent. I make sure I'm in the Word every day. I'm making sure I'm trying to serve other people, right? And so you're like, I, I know what it's like. I remember my early days, and I was more in my flesh, but now I'm in the Spirit. 
So maybe you could relate to that. But there's two types of people he was talking about. He says there are those who basically are spiritual, who are walking in a spirit, and he says there are basically those who are overtaken in a fall, who have succumbed to the flesh. But they're both part of the body of Christ. And I think that's an important point that we see in here. He doesn't tell those who are spiritual to ridicule those who are overtaken in a fault, to mock them, to gossip about them, to hang them, or to shoot them. Basically, it's like this. If you're really progressing in your faith, one of your main goals is to look for those who haven't and those who are wounded. That's one of your main goals is to go and to pull people back up. That's tough because a lot of times our faith is very personal. It's hard to get outside of ourselves. Let's go back to our verse and see what is said next. We've got the two types of people. So we've got the spiritual, they're going to be told to do something, and we've got those who are overtaken in a fault. And what he says is, you which are spiritual, here's your job. Restore such a one, the overtaken in a fault, in the spirit of meekness, and here are very important words, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So he says, it's not just your job to go and to pick somebody else up, but you have to have the right mindset. This mindset is, that could be you. In fact, at some point in time, it was you. That could be you that's wounded and on the ground. Wouldn't you want somebody to come up alongside you? He says, with meekness, with humility, saying, that could easily be me. Instead of, I would never do that. Which is easy to do. It's easy to look at what somebody has done and think that that's who they are. But that is merely an action that they've had in their life. And I know we can debate that all day long. Luke would probably love to, but I'm not, we're not going to do that right now. But he says, with meekness, we are to restore and isn't that interesting that one of the fruits of the Spirit was meekness? So if God's really moving inside you and you're being led of the Spirit, you naturally, you don't have to manufacture meekness. You produce meekness because you're walking in the Spirit. Your antenna is up. You're sympathetic to those who are wounded. You want to see how you can help. You understand that God wants something more for them than what they're currently doing. You don't want to just sit there and let them be destroyed. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us as it's forming us to be like Christ and this constant reminder that we too could be in that position. It's like that parable when Jesus was talking about the Pharisee and the, and the publican, right? And the Pharisee's like, thank God I'm not like that guy. But then the other guy is sitting there saying, hey, the publican's saying, I'm a sinner. And God says, which one of these is more righteous? The one who's not committing the sin or the one who's crying out in repentance trying to change his life. If we're not careful, self-righteous will, self-righteousness will ruin us all. And how soon we forget where we were when God found us. Or maybe even the things we've done after we became a Christian. And yet God still kept pulling us up. Each and every one of us is capable of the most heinous things in this life. It's by the grace of God that we don't devour ourselves, right? 
The fact that he gives us this Holy Spirit inside of us. And yes, we have choices. But it's easy to fall. And it's really easy to stay fallen. He says, consider yourself, lest thou also be tempted. If there need to be a second title today, it would be that one. Consider yourself. Who are you? You're a sinner saved by grace. That's who you are. And that's no different than the Christian who has fallen, who too is a sinner saved by grace. Now we can get in the trenches and and we can try to pull them back up or they can become our punching bag. Or we can put a 10-foot pole and stay away from them. And I just don't think that's what God has in store for us. I think we're missing the mark. Speaking of mark, let's look at an example in the Bible. That was pretty good, right? I only had a few hours to prepare. That was a good segue. (laughs) Acts 13, 13 says this about a young man named Mark. It says, now when Paul and his company, when they loosed from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. That may seem like a pretty inconsequential verse, but here's what happened. Paul and Barnabas, they get sent off, they're prayed over, the Holy Spirit's upon them, and they're basically going to take this message out to the churches of Asia. They make a little pit stop first before they go over, and so they take John Mark with them, and they both agree it's a good idea, and he was prayed over as well. John Mark is related to Barnabas, and so this was kind of a family connection. So here John Mark's with them, and he starts seeing some stuff. And what's crazy is when you read Acts chapter 13, because I, I was trying to think through this, I'm like, what made Mark leave? We don't know. We can just guess, right? And you hear a lot of different sermons on it, a little conjecture on it here and there. Uh, here's what I know is he's a young man, and this whole Bar-Jesus thing that's going on, the sorcerer, probably enough to scare just about anybody. So this is what's happening in the first part of the journey. But then they're going to cross over into basically modern-day Turkey. And now they're going to start focusing on the Gentiles. Previously, it was just synagogues. John Mark, Jewish boy, probably hadn't had much interaction with Gentiles. This could be some elitism. It could be some escapism. It could be some fear. We don't know. But for whatever reason, John Mark, before things really got going, he ran away and left the ministry. He fled. We might look at him and say, man, this young guy, he has all this potential, but he fell. What do we do now? Oh, it would have been so great if he just would have stayed the course. He could have changed lives. He could have been an unbelievable preacher, but, but he fell. How serious was his fall? It just sounds like he just left. Big deal. But we find out in Acts chapter 15 when Barnabas and Paul are saying, we need to go back and check on these churches, these people that, that we raised up, these people that we saw saved, we need to see how they're doing. So let's go again, right? So here comes Barnabas, and here comes Paul. And then Barnabas says, hey, here's a good idea. Let's take John Mark with us again. Paul didn't like that idea. Here's what Paul said in Acts chapter 15, verse 37, 38. He says, Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark, but Paul thought not good to take him, Mark, with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. It was so severe that what John Mark did, that Paul says, we can't take him. He's a runner. He's scared. He's, he fleed from us. He left us hanging. He's damaged goods. He's damaged goods. 
And this dissension became so tight between the two of them that Barnabas says, well, I'm going to take him anyway. And Paul said, well, fine, I'm going to grab Silas. And they both went on separate journeys, all because of John Mark. And the debate, I think on Barnabas' side, it was, he's worthy. It's worth the investment. And, and Paul was at that point saying, he's not. He's not ready. He fled. He messed up. A beautiful part of Scripture is that it doesn't just stay in one place. And oftentimes, we find resolution to stories later in the Bible that we weren't even looking for. And another verse that might seem inconsequential is 2 Timothy 4.11, the end of Paul's ministry. And he says this to Timothy. He says, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Again, we don't really know what happened in between, but somehow this young man, full of unbelievable potential, who fell, is now profitable when Paul says he can't even go with us on the next missionary journey. That meant somewhere along the lines, Mark got back up. He wasn't damaged goods. He wasn't left just for the slaughter. It might have been Barnabas. We don't know. What we do know is, all of a sudden, John Mark is profitable. And there's a lot of people out there today who may be sitting in an unprofitable state that God says, I want them to be profitable. Help them get off the ground. Help them to get back in the race. I absolutely love those stories in the Bible. I love when David was still used by God after his repentance with his sin with Bathsheba. I love how Peter was the catalyst to the kingdom church after denying Jesus three times. I love how the prodigal son comes back home and the father runs to him. I love how the man in 1 Corinthians 5, how his story wasn't over right there when he was kicked out of the church. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, bring him back in, comfort him, basically love on him. And he says, because if we are not careful by forgiving and comforting those when they repent, then Satan gets in and he gets an advantage. He says, we're not ignorant of what Satan is going to try to do. He wants to finish whatever he has started. Everyone who is wounded, Satan wants to finish it off. He says, we're not ignorant of that. Now, there's definitely a big difference between those who want to stay in their sin and those who want to repent. I am in no way saying it is okay to just say, I don't care, I'm going to stay in my sin. The Bible's very clear in Romans chapter 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, or that grace may win, or shall we continue in sin? God forbid. <laughs> Sorry about that. The answer, though, is God forbid. That's what you need to hear. There's no place in Scripture where God ever says, just keep sinning. Feels like Dory, right? It's <laughs> just keep sinning, just keep sinning. Yeah, that, that's not legit, right? We can't, we're not supposed to live that way. I love all those stories in the Bible, but my favorite story is the one of a guy who is standing before you today who was face down on the mat, and pastor gets up, and he stands in the way, and he says, church, don't shoot. I wouldn't be here today if the church would have shot me. And I probably deserved it. Maybe the firing squad. I can't imagine where I would be today if pastor didn't say, get up. Yes, take the time. But get back in the race. 
there's a lot of wounded people on the sidelines. I love what Pastor Zach was saying last night, where are the men? And I'm thinking, maybe half of them are wounded on the sidelines. And maybe we need to go rescue them and, and triage them and let them know that this beautiful grace of God is there for them and that, that he wants you to get back up and get in the race. And maybe I'm supposed to captain those people because I know them. Those are my people. The beat up, the, the, the trashed people, that's me. That, I, I get what they're going through because I've been there. How many people are we losing because we're just letting them die on the sidelines? God's not done with them. He's not done with you. We cannot let sin win, and we do that with our silence. When we're not willing to get in the mud and help those up, especially those who are spiritual, and we sit in our self-righteousness and our perches and we look down upon them, what kind of message is that? It's not what's talked about here in Galatians 6. That I can promise you. I'm not saying it's overnight. Sometimes this is a process. I get that. But let's begin the process. And we will be let down. There'll be times when we go and rescue someone that will continually hurt us. Grace is risky. That does not mean we refuse to do it for all because one has wounded us, right? There is a capable army of men and women that are wounded. They are saved and they are a mess. They think they can never be used again. They think they'll never get past their addiction. They're sick of the up and down. They've tried it on their own over and over again, and they just can't pass through. They can't get back up. They'll never live down that big mistake that they've made. And right there is Satan reminding them of that. They don't need our help. Trust me. The guilt is surreal. Romans 5.20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And that is not just for salvation. Grace abounds over sin. Now first, the mission is repentance. It's a process of restoration. But the idea of restoration is to take something that was broken and put it back the way it was. That's what the word means. I remember summer before my junior year, I was playing basketball out at a, at a park, and we had this big rivalry. It was like the kids from Southwest and the kids from Ison and Northeast, the other side of Greenwood. And so every year we would get together, and it would be shirts and skins. Who am I kidding? It was skins. We were young men. We actually could take our shirts off then. Probably not today. But anyway... <laughs> We would always get out there. It was kind of the start of summer break. And, and I remember there was, this, there was this play and this ball was kind of loose in the middle of the court. And I went up and another guy went up and I did kind of like a one-touch pass. And it was a great pass. But anyway, I gave this pass and so it led to a basket. And, and as I'm falling to the ground, our legs get tangled and I'm headed to the concrete face first. And I put my arms out. And this left arm snaps. And I'm laying there holding my arm kind of like this. This isn't like 92, so there's not like cell phones and things like that. So I had to go get my mom. My mom comes, and there, you know, there's all this conversation. It might just be sprained. No, that's broken, and all my friends are talking. It's not like the bone was going through the skin, but I'm just sitting there in pain doing this. And so my mom shows up, and she's like, oh, we're going to have to take you to the hospital. And so we went to the hospital. We got there too late. The surgeon was gone. My luck. Uh, so they decide they're going to set it by hand. And this thing was pretty mangled. I mean, it was not going through the skin, but it was pretty twisted, and it looked bad. So um, 
Yeah, they shoot it up with a bunch of pain reliever. They hold me down, and they literally set the thing. No surgeon, and all I hear is cracks and pops and pressure. Yes, I couldn't feel the pain, but I knew what was happening, and it terrified me. And then came the process. Purple cast. Don't know why, but I chose purple. <laughs> I learned today it's probably because of Bethany, but anyway, I chose a purple cast. I wore that thing for like six or eight weeks, and then that cast came off. It smelled great, I'm sure. <laughs> Itching, it was a nightmare. You understand. You try that coat hanger thing, they tell you don't do it. Yeah. Thing comes off, and all of a sudden I'm moving it around, and it's not normal, but it's working. <laughs> they want you to start doing exercises with balls. I'm a right handed basketball player, right? And so I'm like, well, that helps a little bit. I started getting stronger and stronger in that hand, to the point where most of my damage, once I got older, was done with my left hand under the basket. I don't even know why. Maybe they corrected something that was wrong at birth. I have no idea. But I understand what this verse is talking about. It's taking something that is broken, and it's putting it back together. Another place in Scripture, it's used over the disciples mending their nets. The point of this was, put the nets back together so they could do what? Do what nets are supposed to do, catch fish. That's what the idea of restoration is. It's to take something that was broken and put it back the way it was before it was broken. But that takes time. And apparently it takes people. Because we who are spiritual are supposed to be doing just that. Taking the broken and putting them back together. Sitting them back right. So as we wrap this up, There's actually three types of people probably in this room today. I think there are the spiritual. There are those who are overtaken in a fault. Maybe this is what you needed to hear today. I don't know. And there may be a third type, and that is those who have never heard this message before in their life, and hopefully today is the day that they believe in that gospel and they are saved. And I talked to that person at the very beginning. So I'm going to focus on the other two. You who are spiritual, maybe your prayer for 24 needs to be to have eyes to those who are overtaken in a fault. Maybe your prayer needs to be that you need to have more compassion considering yourself, lest thou also be tempted. Maybe there's a group of you who just need to come up to the altar here in a minute and just say, God, help me to be that person in Galatians chapter 6 for that person who's wounded. Help me not to be too busy. Help me not to be too preoccupied with myself that I can't see a brother in Christ who needs me or a sister in Christ. Maybe that's something worth praying about as a church. We look around, some people haven't come back from COVID and we assume it's because they're sick. Maybe they're ashamed because of stuff that they've done. Maybe they feel like they don't belong anymore because they don't look like the rest of us who seem to have it all together, even though we don't. Maybe this would be a good time to say we want to triage those people back to health. We want to show that the gospel is not just redemptive, but it also is restorative. And maybe you're that second group. Maybe you're the one who, you can't get past this sin. Maybe you're not doing it anymore, but the debris is everywhere. You can't get past your shame. You have a hard time looking anybody in the eye when you come in here. You know that there's people who, or nice, and they're going to look you in the eye, and they're going to ask how you're doing, but you can't be honest with them. 
you're struggling. Maybe you're hiding a secret from your spouse. Maybe your whole world is about to blow up. And you're carrying all that guilt and pressure here today. I can promise you it is better to come clean and experience a little bit of pain today than the mass destruction that will happen if you do nothing with it. And maybe you're so weak and beat up, you need somebody to pray with you today. Maybe you grab one of these spiritual people and say, I've tried it on my own, I can't do it. I see today through scripture that there are people who can help me. There are people who can come alongside me and help me. I need that. I'm being vulnerable. I know what I'm capable of. I'm sick of falling down. I'm sick of living in this. I need help. So maybe today you ask for it. We can sit and just have another Sunday morning. Or we can say, God, change me. We're all going to make a decision here today. Stan told me that years ago. It's either to do something with what you've been told or to do nothing, but that's a choice. I would not be here today if the body of Christ always shoots their wounded. I know what it's like to fail miserably as a believer, and I'll have to carry that shame for the rest of my life. But people believed in me. People got me to stand back up. And I would like to think God gets all the glory for what I am today. And he doesn't, this wasn't specific to Tao. I think it's everyone in this room and everyone listening or everyone who gets this message shared to them. It's, it's that God's never done with you. God doesn't just delight in the redemptive part of salvation, but also the restorative part. Maybe it's a marriage that needs to be restored today. Maybe it's two people saying, we've, we're about to call it quits, but today we're like, maybe even our marriage has hope. Maybe there are those who are spiritual who can come alongside and restore our marriage. Why not be vulnerable? I'm going to give us an opportunity. I don't always do altar calls. In fact, I don't know if I've ever done one, but we're going to do one today. Because I feel like if the God has spoken to you, or if you just need help, or you just want to come forward and ask questions or have somebody pray with you, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. I know this is probably a different kind of message, but it's my story interwoven into here. It's something I'm passionate about. It's rescuing the wounded. Because I believe that's God's heart. We have a whole army of people that need to be rescued and put back into the battle. And we're supposed to play a role in that happening. Maybe somebody has come to your mind, even while, we were, even while you were listening to me babbling on today. Maybe there's one specific person, you're like, that's them. I haven't checked on them. I don't know what's going on in their life. Then maybe pray for them today. But if God has spoke to you in any way, I want to give you the opportunity to respond. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we just come to you in prayer, Lord, we are, we're thankful for your word. Lord, the next verse would go on to say, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. May we be a people at Grace Point that bears one another's burdens. Lord, I just thank you so much for our pastor and him being one who errs on the side of grace and sets that example for us. Lord, I pray that you just touch him and that his body would be healed and he'd be back in here next week ready to go. Lord, I pray that you just be with those people who are in the middle of being overtaken in a fault. Maybe it's the debris of that. Maybe they're still in the middle of it. I pray that you would just 
reveal to them, Lord, that you're not done with them. Lord, if they are a child of God, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 37 through 39 says, there's nothing that can separate them from the love of God, even the mess that they've made. Ephesians 1.13 says that they are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. They didn't become unsealed because they messed up. They're seated in heavenly places. They've been given all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, regardless if they've committed another sin after they get saved. And that's because of what Jesus did, not because of us and our behavior. So I pray that the enemy would no longer lie to them, but also that they would not be content with living in sin. Give us godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And Lord, sometimes that's harder than other times. So Lord, I pray that if we need help, we'd find those spiritual people that can pull us up and help us create a more disciplined walk where we could walk in the spirit so that one day we can be the spiritual ones looking down and helping those who are overtaken in a fault. Lord, I pray that we would never take this great salvation for granted and that we would always sing its praises, whether it is redemption or whether it is restorative. But Lord, we promise to give you all the honor and glory from anything done today. And Lord, we thank you for your goodness and that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. We hope you received a blessing from today's service. We would love to have you visit with us in person. For more information, please visit our website at gpindy.net or contact us by phone at 317-535-3512. For more options to watch, just click On Demand on the website. Until next broadcast, may God bless you is our prayer.